the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And it is uh, Thanksgiving week. And I just want to say thank you to so many people as we open up this program. Uh, You know, in my hand right now is this book by Melanie Kirkpatrick. And we've had her interviewed on this subject. It's a phenomenal interview. And uh, she's really a a great uh, asset resource, the stuff she does. And so... Let me just say this uh, about that book. The little, it's a little paperback book uh, that is out, and it's got a great index. It, it has some uh, recipes, which I've mentioned before. But the more important thing, it's got the texts uh, and in the chapters on uh, George Washington, what he did, uh, how Thanksgiving came about. It's really a very good, a very useful uh, tool. And I encourage you to get a copy. And, uh, and it's wonderful. Melanie Kirkpatrick. So listen, let me um, just say thank you uh, to a few people. And this is a short opening segment. Um, the Pro-America Report is a such, such a labor of love. Uh, we love doing it. I love hearing from listeners. Although I will tell you, there is a listener to the program who is mad at me over my opposition to China. And he's a bit unhinged. And he calls me on my on the on the texting line. You know, we have a direct texting line, 314-256-1776 which does not ring to my phone, but it goes to my phone. So it doesn't make a ringing sound, but I see it and it comes in as a special number. But most times it goes to my Google voice and he leaves these crazy messages. He's so mad at me over China. He thinks China's great. Uh, but anyway, um, I'm grateful for the listeners, grateful for this whole thing is a labor of love. The Pro-America Report, if you go over to ProAmericaReport.com and you sign up for the daily email, um, this is why I do the work I do. I mean, I'm so blessed to be able to be the head of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles and to be able to um, do this work and to be talking and, and communicating about the issues of the day and how it relates to the family and pro-life and the conservative vision of America. It's just a great, great privilege, and I'm so honored to do it. And so I just want to say thank you to so many people who make it possible. Thank you uh, to all the folks at the Salem Radio Network, especially Steve Brodsky, who's out in San Diego, the general manager there, and especially Noah Dingley, our producer, who is uh, really a great friend now after these years together, but he's He's a great producer. He keeps it going. And Joanna Spilger in our home office in St. Louis, Ryan Height in our home office in St. Louis, Jordan Henry in our home office in St. Louis. Those three uh, do a phenomenal job with the radio show. And then our my great friend Gwen Kelly is our social media uh, maven and gets things out. It's just a great team. It's a great privilege to do this together. And I just want to say thank you. And, you know, it's um, this time in our history is a kind of strange time. People are uncertain about what's going on and we have to keep going. We have to keep going forward prayerfully, seriously with, um, with joy, with hope 
And that's what we're doing on the Pro-America Report. So what you need to know today, today's wink is uh, thank you. Uh, thank God for the great gift of America and the great gifts he's given to me. Uh, thank you, the listeners uh, who help uh, make this work so well and pass it on to other people. It's such a help. And thank you to the great team. We are uh, together uh, working on this. It's just wonderful. And let me say, we are so blessed to live in this great nation, America. It's a nation. It's a nation that's knitted together in a special way under God. And we are blessed, and we should be thankful for that. So I hope everyone's having a great Thanksgiving weekend. I know it's not always that easy. People are missing from your lives or, or, or traveling or even disgruntled. Uh, but God bless you, and thank you for all you do. I'm Ed Martin. It's the Pro-America Report, and we'll be back soon. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Fascinating book that we're going to talk about right now. It's uh, published by Liver Right Publishers. It just came out a few weeks ago. And uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning author is Joseph J. Ellis. The book is called The Cause, The American Revolution and Its Discontents, 1773 to 1783, that period in there, 10-year period. Uh, welcome, sir, to the program. How are you? I'm very good and looking forward to a good conversation. Well, thank you. So first of all, I, I loved the positioning that, and I, I smiled, you know, nobody fought a war or fought uh, for the spirit of 1776 in 1776. And I think one of the things that you capture is people called it the cause. And, uh, and, mm. and even in the, in your book, you were, people sort of projected onto the cause what they felt about it, right? And and what they, some people were pondering yeah. liberty, but some people were just pondering money and some people were just pondering fighting. And and, and I thought that was really important. How, uh, how, how did you come to see that? I think it's really important to have covered that. Well, I saw it because that's the word they used. First, they used the term common cause, and then they shortened it to the cause. The funny thing is, nobody called it the American Revolution at the time. The British called it right. the American Rebellion. And one of the reasons they didn't call it the American Revolution is that people didn't think of themselves as Americans. They thought of themselves as New Englanders or Virginians or Carolinians. Um, and they made a point of saying that they were not intending to stage a revolution. The, and they're they're, they're what we would call prudent revolutionaries, which just seems a contradiction in terms. But uh, right. you're right. The cause becomes a kind of verbal canopy within which different groups who don't really agree, um, sectional differences on the slavery issue, differences in the middle colonies and New England between New England's much more ready to go. And the middle colonies are much more, moderate and smooth stoned about it. Um, but the cause becomes the one thing they can agree on. Um, and the one thing is that they are going to resist British imperial policy or what they call tyranny um, and come to the aid of Massachusetts that's being occupied by the British army. Um, so the cause serves a lot of purposes. It's sort of like the constitution becomes later. Its very success depends upon its ambiguity. Right. 
Right. And so, and again, we're talking with uh, Joseph J. Ellis, and many people have heard one of your more popular books, and it's uh, in, a, in a trilogy with this one is Founding Brothers. People, uh, that that became right. a huge seller. I know many people, Joseph uh, Ellis, is, if you're famous, that's one book that everybody seemed to know, and it was really amazing. And this is, this, by the way, this book is the, is the uh, third, uh, a final of a trilogy on this. But back to this point on the cause and the Constitution. So now we're 200 and 200 plus years later. Um, there is a sort of knitting together now. We could talk about whether it's <laughs> tearing apart a little bit, but, uh, uh you know, uh, of, uh, okay, everybody's bought into almost, like, let's call it the American dream, as you say, the Constitution or this. And isn't that, isn't that sort of what a nation is? I mean, isn't that at the, not, not the only thing a nation is, but a nation is somehow yeah. you, you can buy into it, even if it's, I'm buying in for this and you're buying in for that, but you're knitted together. Um, yeah, but pretty soon you figure out quickly that you don't agree about everything. And um, right. I think that the first sentence in the most famous speech in American history, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, is historically incorrect. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. Uh, no, they didn't. Uh, they brought forth a union of 13 separate colonies, provisionally united when the war and and stay together as long as that was going on. And even that uh, they didn't. They, you know, the, the, the government had a very difficult time raising money to support the army and and get recruits. Uh, and but at the end of it, they are going to go their separate ways, uh, which is what they proceeded to do at the end of the war. And um, mm. and they don't end up a nation; they end up a confederation of sovereign states, which doesn't resemble the Constitution so much as what later on the Confederacy will say it wants to be in 1860. Right. Well, and I, and I meant that's to ask the you. I'm, the uh, uh, subtitle is and, and it's discontents. They're not. They don't. We we the Constitution is like what one historian called a roof without walls. That is, we create a national government before we're really a nation, um, and um, right. and it's it's difficult for people to comprehend that now. But that uh, the real achievement of the revolutionary generation is to create that kind of national government. Um, in a way that uh, allows over time uh, people to come together. I mean, I think from a from an eagle's point of view, for, for example, women's rights. If you read the Declaration, human rights is an expanded thing. And Abigail Adams, for example, writes to John in April of seventeen uh, what seventeen seventy six, I guess, and. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, remember the, la the ladies' letter that there's real implications for women's rights and the women's right to vote, but that neither Abigail nor anybody else realize, thinks that that should be impo imposed now. That that there, it's right. going to take a long time for that to happen. It needs to seep out slowly. So it's kind of an evolutionary revolution, not the kind of revolution that you're going to see in France or in Russia later on. It's not. It doesn't make the stat the, the definition of revolution really uh, for in, in the in the minds of a lot of political scientists. But I think that's the reason it succeeded. 
Right. Um, again, we're talking with uh, Joseph J. Ellis. His book is uh, entitled The Cause. Anywhere you buy, you buy books, you'll find it now. It's, uh, and uh, as he said, the, sub, uh, the subtitle is The American uh, Revolution and Its Discontents. Um, one more uh, uh, question along those lines. Um, at that period, if when the war is over, everybody goes their own way, and as you say, it's a confederation, and the Constitution becomes the sort of uh, the 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 I don't know miraculous uh, or whatever the phrase you'd use to say knit us together. Um, it did so because the confederation wasn't working, right? I mean, well, there was a sense that, that everybody went correct. back to their own thing, but you you needed to get together. I mean, that was part of the re- yeah, that, it, it, it was forced economically. Them. That's right. We were running a $60,000 debt, which back then was a lot of money. And um, <laughs> right. the, the different states were, in effect, imposing duties on each other. Then there was Shays' right. Rebellion, which was – and so that, yes, it, it, it didn't work well but uh, at all. And Washington, Hamilton, Franklin – all thought that the ultimate meaning of the cause was American nationhood. But that wasn't what most ordinary Americans thought. Most ordinary mm-hmm. Americans were born, lived out their lives, and died within a three-day horse ride. They didn't think mm-hmm. nationally. They thought locally. And it took almost a coup d'etat to turn that around um, in the Constitutional Convention. And too many historians over the years have viewed the revolution through the lens of the Constitution and saying, ah, the revolution is a, is a movement to create a, this great American nation. It wasn't. It, they didn't think that's what they were doing. And it is, it, over the course of the war, Washington and his, uh, his colleagues in the Army did think that. And that's the reason why when you get to the Constitutional Convention, over half the delegates are former officers in the Continental Army who, who saw wow. the problems of that, that, that the, the splintered character of the American states were creating during the war. We could have won the war in a year or two if they had drawn out all the resources they needed. We could have fielded an army of eighty to 100,000, but we never get more than ten to 12,000. Um, and and they thought that that protracted war was almost lost um, because we didn't have the, the support from the respective states. So in recovering, uh, again, we're talking with uh, Joseph J. Ellis. His book is called The Cause, uh, and it's uh, available everywhere books are sold. In recovering an understanding, historical understanding, that all these discontents worked together, or, or, well, fought together, they they had enough of a common cause uh, to stick together for the fight, and then later, on top of that, it comes a constitution. How do you th- how do you think as a, a historian now about the moment we're in, where a lot of people will say, well, you know, if you don't like it, you go where you want to be. You know, you self-select to X county, and I'll self-select to my county, and we'll build our little worlds. Well, it, it's never going to work for states, right? We're long past as an economic unit that that works. But there there is a enough discontent. Forget about the uh, 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 any mm-hmm. put, put aside the fringe the fringe characters uh, of the discontent, and just say there's people. People that just disagree about a worldview and they say, so how does the does the Constitution is that the is that the the the, the, the roof without walls that holds it together still? Um, that's a good question. I mean, historians are really great at predicting the past. That's we're really omniscient <laughs> in that. But, but we don't yeah. we're no better than anybody else at predicting the future. But we are going through a uh, a difficult moment in our history. I I think it's 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 as close to 
the Civil War as you can get in terms of real divisions among and between uh, different segments of the society, and um, it's a, it's going to be a real a real test here. And um, and I think the lesson to learn from the revolution is that we do need to come together in crises and. Um, and to vest the government with powers to bring us together to, I know that it's controversial to have mandated um, vaccines and things of that sort, but that um, uh, the lesson I draw from my work on the revolution is now's the time for, for us to uh, attempt to reach some level of bipartisanship, and um, that's going to be really hard, but uh, over the next year or two as we move to the the, the, the elections in 222, we'll find out whether we are, in fact, capable of doing it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Joseph J. Ellis, uh, great Pulitzer Prize winner, a best-selling author. The, the, his newest book is The Cause, The American Revolution and Its Discontents, 1773 to 1783. Uh, thanks for writing the book and spending some time with us, sir. Appreciate it. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Peter Navarro is with us. And uh, his book, In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Year. It's really good, Peter. I have to tell you, I know I had John before. We're talking about the book, but I've now read all of it. And uh, it moves along uh, partly because you did the year, that last year of the Trump, but also uh, of the Trump administration, but also just the so much was going on and so fast. So first of all, what's the response to the book, Ben? I've seen some coverage but it has it's not a tell all book in the way like you're not talking you're yeah. not you're not talking about people's foibles you're talking about real stuff how's the response been well uh the response from the grassroots been great I mean, the wall street journal just came out uh with their best seller list and we hit number 3 on that list uh for the audio book the audio book's really cool uh not because i narrated it which i did but because i actually did something innovative. I'm surprised nobody ever done this. And um, I used actual voices of the people in the book. I recorded them along with uh, like clips from, uh, from right. TV and stuff like that. When I quoted stuff. So you got, you got Stephen K. Bannon in it, Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, this hmm. guy, Doc Hatfield absolutely steals the show. Corey Lewandowski does a killer scene on air force one the night before election. Um, I was on the, the in Trump times been on the uh, USA today. And, and Amazon bestseller list, but it's not because of any coverage by the uh, by the corporate woke media, but but in spite of it, it's been shows like yours, Ed, that have been getting in Trump time out to the people, and uh, they've studiously ignored in Trump time in the uh, in the uh, corporate media because um, unlike some of the left wing screeds, I don't uh, savage Melania or Donald John Trump. Uh, in it, and what the mission of the in Trump time book is is very straightforward. It's to fire Fauci and put him in jail. It's to hold Chinese communists accountable for attacking us with a deadly virus. Uh, it's to get to the bottom of what happened on both November third in the stolen election and on January sixth with the betrayal of the president by uh, by Mike Pence. So. Um, I, I appreciate you saying it. it's a good read. I, I tried to, Bannon always told me, show them, don't tell them. So it does 
does uh, read um, often like a movie script, and and I yeah, it does. There's a little scene yeah, that's here. Right. I narrate uh, when I when I write a book, I dictate it, so it's for the ear, not the eye. So it's like I'm talking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but, no, it does. Know, it, it, it does. It does. It cool. yeah, does. It moves like that. It does. Now, uh, in Trump time is the book, a journal of America's plague year, Peter Navarro, and it's available all seasons press, wherever, wherever you get books, you'll see it. Um, Peter, uh, the, um, the, uh, now we see, you know, FDA comes out a few days ago and says, we're not going to let you see the Pfizer data until 76 years from now. At this point, there's no, there's, yeah, there's no doubting that there's no reason. Let me say it affirmatively. There's clearly no reason to trust what's coming out of the government. There's no, there's no way you can trust that. And I think we all feel that. But what happens yeah. next? Yeah, well, what happens next is, is we either fire and jail Fauci or he's going to use the powers of the Biden regime uh, to force you to take booster after booster, jab your children, uh, to take the vi- vaccine, whether you've had the vo- covid already have antibodies and we're going to wind up with a lot of people um and not necessarily dying and we run the risk of a super mutation uh that wipes out a lot large amount of people i mean it's like nobody look nobody can ever accuse me of being an anti-vax i was the guy on february 9th 2020 it's all documented in the in trump time book i was the guy who helped jumpstart the whole operation warp speed but ed in the memos I would write to the task force, there's about a dozen of them. Uh, I would note that the vaccine's not a magic bullet. Uh, we need, even more importantly, in my judgment, to develop a of easy to use, easy to administer, cheap therapeutics to give right. the people at the first sign of disease. And, and hydroxychloroquine is, is really the crown jewel of that. It's a $12 drug been safe for 60 years but this chapter seven of in trump time illustrates how how fauci and cnn's jeff zucker and others uh created this hydroxy hysteria to stop it my point is that the vaccine um it's not really a vaccine yeah let's be clear about that it's an experimental technology um and not like smallpox and polio vaccines which you know one and done it's it's right it's a it's a technology used to provoke an immune response that now we learn is a fairly temporary response. So there you go, you got to go get these boosters. And it seems to breed mutations as well that easily evade uh, the immune response. And it, 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 he, here's what's really important, Ed. The reason why Fauci needs to go to jail is because he lied by omission to me, to the president, to the task force of the American people in January of 2020, that his gain of function experiments had likely genetically engineered it and that it was probably a bioweapon. He knew all of that. Instead of telling us he covered up, why is that important, Ed? Because if we had got known that then, we would have pressured the Chinese to give us the genome of the original genetically engineered virus. We still don't have the original genome. Why is that important? We could have designed uh, a much more complex and effective back true vaccine to address right. that that uh, that deadly virus. Uh, instead, Fauci engaged in a cover-up using what I call in the in Trump time book the dumbest guy who ever tried to play God. This this cutout 
named Peter Daszak, who uh, Fauci used both to funnel money into the Wuhan lab, but also to spin a false narrative about the the, uh, virus coming from nature rather than the lab. Right. Uh, We're talking with Peter Navarro, and again, his book is In Trump Time, uh, a journal of America's plague year. It's fascinating. It'll take its place, I, I predict, Peter, among the books uh, about presidential elections also, because it's all that context. I think Trump wins yeah. the election, wins wins, an, wins the November 2020 election by 20 points if there's no COVID. I mean, but, but putting that aside, Peter as Navarro, in the last couple of days, they subpoenaed you before one of the committees in Congress on the COVID. Now, I think that's like the craziest guy to subpoena in the sense that you clearly love talking about this. You know everything about it. You know, what? why would that be something they want to do? Are they going to try to, I mean, how do you embarrass Peter Navarro? I mean, I, I remember you telling me the last time on, last time, the last time on the radio you described how you went about your research, uh, you know, where you, you learned it when you were over either MIT library uh, when you were at Harvard or wherever it was, and you described it. You would go first get the uh, research, get the source, then go back to all of its sources and back to all the sources. And I thought that's one of these academic minds that's different than anyone else. What are they going to subpoena you and talk about? I mean, what do they want? Well, well it is is uh, darkly funny and ironic uh, what what they're going to try to accuse me of, uh, and the president, most importantly, because that's who they want to blame, of being slow to respond to the pandemic. And my response to the subpoena was, hey, I'm sending you guys a case of the In Trump Time book. Because <laughs> exactly. It illustrates, <laughs> yeah. it illustrates that, that, well, you, James Clyburn, was dumb and happy, uh, not thinking about the virus until, like, March um, I was like out there in G- as early as January writing memos saying it was going to kill 600,000 people and cost us trillions of dollars if we didn't move. And then I'm moving a dozen memos on the, what I call the five vector attack strategy in the in Trump time book. It's like testing. It's like ventilators. It's PPE. Yeah. It's vaccines. It's therapeutics. You know, look, dude, it's like, do your thing, okay? But the thing about Clyburn is this needs to be said. It's like he is, he should be the second most scorned person in Washington, D.C. and in this country. The first one is Joe Biden because he is a discredited, illegitimate, mentally incapacitated president who's done everything wrong in office. But, Ed, do you remember who was the guy who saved his career? Do you remember this? Yep. It was exactly yep. in South Carolina, South Carolina. Yeah. And yep. who endorsed him. He won that primary. And that was that was the end of Bernie Sanders and, and Liz Warren. So Clyburn, it's like it's like if you're dumb enough to give us <laughs> the, the worst president in history, don't be getting in my grill. Uh, you're barking yeah. up the wrong tree, and and I'll I'll go ahead. It's like right. right. Um, <laughs> I, I, my record is my record, right, Bill? Bill right. Belichick says your record's your record. Well, my record's in the in Trump time book, and you want to see how quickly we move. Hey, in Trump time means as quickly as possible. And Clyburn right. and Pelosi and De Blasio and Fauci, well, they were sleeping and telling us not to worry. Uh, I was working on behalf of the best president in history to make sure the American people were protected. So, well, it's like a sheriff shows up my, at my door today to give me a subpoena today after they sent me the subpoena by email yesterday and said, 
Well, we don't have to send a sheriff if if you'll acknowledge this. I said, sure, I acknowledge the subpoena, right? They send the sheriff yeah. anyway. It's just it's just witch hunt intimidation. Right. Um, I right. think you know me well, well enough to I, know I'm the wrong guy to try to intimidate. Well, the only the only thing that's going to happen in that hearing, besides you, you you're going to have too many answers and too much information, is someone's going to get to the point they're going to say. Did, did Navarro sleep at the White House? It sounds like he worked about 23 and a half hours a day. And, and it, you know, and then these guys that work about five hours. Uh, last question, Peter. Yeah. The late, though, yeah. we're talking Peter Navarro. The book is in Trump time, a journal of America's plague year. Um, and uh, Peter Phyllis, the late Phyllis Schlafly used to say one of the most important things that she did was run for office and lose because when these people run for office and win, they think they're geniuses and they never realize when you run and lose, you, you, you have, you, you have, you have learned, you have learned how politicians yeah. and elected officials think. And you yourself, yeah. you, you've been a candidate in the past and you have that sensibility where we are right now in, in this country and these elected officials what is your what's your what's your feeling, especially the Democrats? Where where is this going? Where is this headed? Off a cliff. I mean, we're going off a stagflationary cliff right now. Um, just making a series of bad decisions, and I, I've never been more concerned for this country uh, in my life. And you know, I went through the '70s stagflation. I went through the Vietnam War, the assassinations of JFK and Bobby and. And Martin, I yeah, you know, I, I went went through uh, went through it all. I went through the the, the crash of 2007. Um, where we're headed is is a very bad place. Uh, but but look, let me ask you, you know, let's imagine you were interviewing me in November of '61. Okay, Ed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and you, we knew, you we knew sitting there during that interview what we know now, which is as a hundred percent historical fact. Kennedy stole it from Nixon. We, we know this. That's it took decades, right. but we now know that is true fact. Um, would you be saying, well, Peter, do you think uh, do you think Nixon should run in '64? And how sure are you going to win the House back in '62? Or right, right. Ed, would you be saying, hey, uh, we know this was stolen. Shouldn't we be moving to decertify the election? in Illinois and Texas and take back the white house. Now, I think I know the answer to that question, but that's the question that needs to be asked precisely in that context, because that's exactly where we're at. Yeah. All right. Peter Navarro. It's a great book. It's important. And uh, your voice is great. I'm so fun that they're subpoenaing you uh, so that you get a voice up there. I hope they broadcast it live. So keep in touch. Thanks, Peter. Take care, Ed. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. After publishing articles that wrongly disparaged anyone who suggested that COVID-19 might be a man-made virus from China, the liberal British medical journal The Lancet made a U-turn by publishing a fresh article harshly criticizing its prior ones. According to this article by 16 scientists, quote, some unusual features of the SARS-CoV-2 genome sequence suggest that they may have resulted from genetic engineering, end quote. According to this article, the latest evidence indicates a man-made origin for COVID-19. The authors write that no pathway from bats to humans, nor any plausible geographic connection between wildlife and infected humans, has been identified. 
quote, more than 80,000 samples collected from Chinese wildlife sites and animal farms all proved negative, end quote. This article is another victory lap for Donald Trump. The never-Trumpers who insisted that Trump was being anti-science were in fact the non-scientific ones who misled the public more than a year ago. Dr. Anthony Fauci falsely insisted in May of last year that the evidence is very, very strongly leaning towards this could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. There's no credible evidence supporting Fauci's statement, as the esteemed scientists demonstrate in their recent article in The Lancet. Fauci should be compelled to explain the basis for his statements against man-made origin for COVID-19, which remains an enormously important medical, historical, and political issue. Fauci repeated assertions that everything about the stepwise evolution over time strongly indicates that COVID-19 evolved in nature and then jumped species. This latest flub from Fauci is the perfect illustration of why the American people should not bow down to the absolute will of technocratic scientists. Without a doubt, science plays an important part in the quest for truth. However, the very nature of scientific discovery proves that our scientific understanding is constantly changing. The unchanging rights of man, given to us by our Creator, should not be subject to the evolving nature of scientific understanding. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, President of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parler, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, if you're like my kids, you don't want to hear any talk of uh, Christmas this early. My kids have a, 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 a an informal rule that they don't want to hear Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, but they don't even want to talk about Christmas stuff like shopping and all until December turns, no matter what. So this is their rule. I don't know why my kids decide to have this rule, but that's uh, where they are. So, but I'm breaking that rule. I'm breaking that rule right now because I want to tell you about a very cool opportunity. If you go to uh, phyllisschlafly.com, I'll put it up on social media. There's a link there and there we have a Christmas sale going on. Now, What's very cool about Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, I mean, not just very cool about her, she was an amazing lady, but what is amazing, one of the amazing things about her is she was an incredible writer. And so we have already published volume after volume of her books, we call them Phyllis Schlafly Speaks, and you got on, on patents, on pro-life, on Donald Trump. Uh, all there. And again, you go to this website, you can follow this. Also, there's um, the first reader, very popular. Phyllis Schlafly wrote a reading manual for children to read back in the day, I don't know, about 15, 20 years ago. It's very popular these days. It's called the first reader. And there's a first reader workbook. Uh, you can find that there. You can also, there's tote bags, Phyllis uh, Schlafly tote bags, leather uh, pad, pad folio. We actually have a copy. Uh, the other day, you may remember, I appeared on Larry Elder. Um, 
uh, radio show. And in the midst of all the different kind of appearances I made, I have acquired over the years some of the key books of folks uh, like Larry Elder. His book is a lot like me at tw- uh, out in 2018 in paperback about his relationship with his father. Phenomenal book. You buy that there. We've got some uh, uh, David Horowitz books, autographed uh, books that are around. We also have uh, Brian Kilmeade, uh, his book on uh, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pilots. Pilots. Pirates. If you uh, are upset they took down Thomas Jefferson's uh, a statue up in New York City. Here's a chance. This is a great history. Anyway, all of this is at this website. You can go there and check it out. Lots of books, including my uh, my uh, comic, excuse me, coloring books. Can't trump this Kofefe. There's a Christmas version. Uh, the most, the, the best book I can recommend. Really important for you to read is Phyllis Schlafly's book, A Choice, Not an Echo, which she updated in 2014. It was a a runaway, uh, multi-sold, I think, almost 2.5 million copies in 1964. Well, all those years later... Uh, um, 50 years later, she published an updated version and it gives you the best description of what's going on behind the scenes in the Republican Party and why it's so important to do that. So check it out. If you go, there's lots of gifts. About, oh, I want to mention there's also called the Turbo Reader. Phyllis, when she did the uh, first reader, she then did a, a Turbo Reader, which allowed people to uh, uh, a different level of reading. You can get there. So another favorite of mine is Who Killed the American Family? Uh, extraordinary book written in 2014. You should get that. And then one last one I'll finish on. It's called The Supremacist. And it's uh, Phyllis writing about the importance, the tyranny of judges and how to stop it, the importance of the fight over judges. So a lot there. If you go, again, for Christmas, all these books, there's no supply chain problems. <laughs> there's no issues. You can sign uh, buy these books now. We'll get them to you. In just a few days, you'll get them for Christmas, and there really is something for everybody. If you have somebody that loves the pro-life movement, there's really nothing like uh, Volume 3 of Phyllis Schlafly Speaks. It's called, its subtitle is How the Republican Party Became Pro-Life, and it marches through how Phyllis Schlafly was able uh, to um, shape the platform of the Republican Party. It's an extraordinary history. It's got a description of, uh, of, of tactics to get it done. It's got description of the people that were against it. It's really great. Um, another book, by the way, that I recommend uh, to you is uh, if you have somebody who is a young person who's interested in being a speaker uh, and uh, speaking professionally, we put together, in fact, Phyllis picked this out before she died. The very first volume of her uh, writings is called Phyllis Shafley Speaks, Volume 1, Her Favorite Speeches. She pulled out a set of her favorite speeches, and we published them. And they're on every subject. They're on the military. They're on life issues. They're on patents. They're on the uh, the um, economy, uh, education. Uh, one of her favorite topics, of course, the Constitution. She writes on that uh, in there. So that's a great one. And I, I've actually given that book uh, quite a few times to young people, our collegians, uh, or someone that I know that just is interested in politics and policy, uh, to show um, she, Phyllis Schlafly, was a writer her whole life, and she attributed the fact that she could write, uh, that she wrote well and worked hard at it, to helping her think clearly. You you cannot be a loose thinker if you're writing all the time. You cannot. You just can't do it. 
And so she attributed that. And she wrote an extraordinary amount uh, in her long life. In fact, if you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can see the button for the, uh, for the sale. But also, I'd recommend that you go there and you can look at her Phyllis Schlafly reports. Uh, she wrote so many um, essays, so many columns, and so many uh, reports. They called her PS Reports. It was a monthly report. I- I- incredible uh, discipline, incredible cl- uh, clarity. And as I often tell people, I can go back and look over the 50-year period where she was writing so frequently, I can go back and look and I can track down almost any topic, uh, anything that was you know in the news she had written about uh, in some way. And her take is almost always uh, not just, it's not that it's unique. She didn't do things just to make it different, but it was, um, she had a way of seeing things uh, that was different than most people. And so you could go and figure that out. So phyllisschlafly.com to find out more. And uh, you want to sign on and you want to uh, pick up some gifts. And by the way, the proceeds go, of course, to our work, uh, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. So it supports us there. All right. So there's some Christmas gifts. If you need a gift to thank uh, Noah Dingley, our great producer, you can go there. Or Joanna Spilger, our great uh, assistant producer who helps book these guests. Go there and get them a gift. You can do it there. So uh, more of that on social media. Thank you for listening. We will be back uh, tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>